Welcome, Duke fans. I'm the host of the DBR podcast this week. I'm Jason Evans. Um, it's been a tough week, people. Uh, let's let's just be honest. It hasn't been a great one, and we're going to get started, and we're going to try and talk you all through it and talk you off the ledge a little bit if we can, talk ourselves off the ledge. Um, I am joined this week, as always, by my wonderful, wonderful colleagues in Denver, Colorado, Sam Klein. Hi, Jason. Um, I, I obviously don't feel great, but, you know, th- things are, things are going to look up. There you go. And in Washington, D.C., Donald Wine. Let's uh, we'll real quickly recap this week and then put it behind us so we never have to discuss it again. Well, there are lessons. There are lessons that can be learned. And I want you guys to remember, it was around this time last season that Duke looked like they were really badly struggling. And uh, and Rashid Suleiman got kicked off the team. And everyone was like, this this season's going to hell in a handbasket. And we and, this little podcast project was was dooming the team. Yep. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. Um, and and things then had a magical way of turning themselves around. Now, I'm not going to predict that. I'm not going to say that's necessarily going to happen this time. But we've been down in this kind of area before, and good things have followed. So I'm not giving up. Not not losing hope. Um, folks, uh, obviously, we we're talking about the week in which uh, Duke played at Clemson and lost 68 to 63 for their first ACC loss. And then everyone said. Oh, they're going to come back home. They've got Notre Dame. They're coming home against Notre Dame, and they're going to blow Notre Dame's doors off. I mean, last year we beat Notre Dame by 30 at Cameron. Um, didn't work out that way. Um, lost to Notre Dame 95 to 91. So, uh, guys, um, Sam, I'll go to you first. Let, let's start. Uh, actually, should we should we do both games at the same time? Should we do them one at a time? Do you want to start with Clemson, or do you want to do both of them? I think that they're, the games – were very different. Obviously, one was a very high-scoring game. One was not such a high-scoring game. Um, but the kind of lessons that I want to take out of the game sort of go together. So I'll I'll discuss them together, um, and kind of say that in in both instances, I feel like Duke played their opponent's game more than they wanted to play their own game. So Clemson Clemson let it become like a banging on the inside kind of game that Duke isn't really um, Duke isn't really ready for. They don't have the bodies for obviously, particularly without. Emil Jefferson. And then Notre Dame made it a blitzing back and forth game. I mean, at halftime, it was like 50 to 46. And it looked like at least one team was going to end up in triple digits. And it almost ended up like that. It was 95-91. So uh, I think that in in both cases, Duke let the opponent dictate how the game was going to be played. And like I said, that's probably more due to the lack of depth at Duke. I mean, at this point, they're really just playing six guys. Jeter is basically not in the rotation to the point where against Notre Dame, we actually saw Sean Obi for a few minutes in two separate instances in the first half. So um, it, it appears that, you know, Coach K's uh, confidence in Chase Jeter has dropped enough that he's now sort of even with Sean Obi, who we know there isn't a lot of confidence in and and who looked uh, who looks pretty, uh, he looks in over his head against Notre Dame. He wasn't moving very well. Uh, he did have the one rebound that resulted in drawing a foul and a very big hug from Marshall Plumley. But then he proceeded to miss both of the free throws and was taken out of the game. So I think that the lack of depth is making Duke play tentatively. I think you also saw the depth manifest itself in the foul trouble in both games. There were multiple guys who ended up with four fouls. Brandon Ingram especially uh, appears to be prone to fouls. There were a number of fouls that he that he committed this week that were not fouls playing defense. They were fouls setting screens or uh, offensive fouls, that things that are inexcusable in general but are particularly inexcusable when – He's the only, quote, power forward on the team, and he's not really even a power forward. He'd rather be playing the three. And without without that depth inside and without Emil Jefferson, Duke can't afford to be giving away 
dumb fouls like that. So I think that the the lesson learned is that the depth is poor and that everything kind of spirals from that. It allows the opponents to do what they want. It allow it doesn't allow Duke to play the game that they want, and it forces guys to be on the floor. Like Brandon Ingram was on the floor with four fouls, I think with like 13 minutes left in the game against Notre Dame. And and he's not going to be effective at all on defense if he's if he's going to be too timid. So um, that that was the story of both of the games this week for me. Donald, what did you want to kind of add to that? So I, I think the one thing that I thought was very poignant and that was um, prevalent in both games is that we started out hot in both games. We led in the Clemson game for, I believe, 27 minutes. And in Notre Dame, the Notre Dame game, we led for 22 minutes of the game. So we started out great and we were shooting well. And it's all of a sudden, I feel like the, the foul trouble leads to, uh, as you said, a lot of timid uh, defensive play. And that is what let uh, Notre Dame and Clemson get back into the game, um, especially on the interior. Our interior defense, when we have our big men Plumlee uh, and Ingram in foul trouble, really, really hurts our defense because there's nobody that comes off the bench that can match their intensity or match their size inside or match their length. So I think that is one of the things that we have to kind of correct going forward, especially while we are missing Emil uh, Jefferson. Um, I think when Emil gets back, a lot of these problems will be solved, but we got to kind of play uh, a play a little differently and, and kind of see what, where the tendency is to get these fouls. Like you said, there's a lot of times where, um, there were loose ball fouls or uh, fouls that weren't on defense. Although there was one foul yesterday um, that Ingram drew um, that was more of a, he was trying to slap the ball out of uh, uh, a Notre Dame player's hand. And at the same time, Chase Jeter basically football tackled him. And they called a foul on Ingram, and that was his fourth foul. So you kind of wonder what, like, what positions our players are, are putting themselves in to kind of get these fouls. Um, but when they do get that, I mean, that was an aggressive play. He was trying to go for the ball, but after that, he couldn't do that. And as you said, he was in the game for about 13, the last 13 minutes of the game uh, yesterday, and he could, not, um, he could not play the tenacious defense that you would need to do to kind of get a stop on, especially against teams in the ACC. So I think that's kind of the, the, the breakdown. Once we get into foul trouble, we kind of lead, uh, we kind of let the teams back into it, and we have no way of responding to it without being – uh, the aggressive uh, players that some of these guys are. And on Brandon Ingram's defense, there's been a weird change so far this season. We're coming into the season. We looked at Emil Jefferson and Matt Jones as kind of being the two defensive, the best defensive players on the team. Emil's obviously hurt, and Matt Jones has not really played that well on either end of the court recently. And so it's been on Ingram to be the best defender, be it inside or on the perimeter, uh, maybe not necessarily guarding point guard the way that I think that Jones and Jefferson are, are capable of. But Ingram has has been tasked to play a lot more defense and to be kind of the head of the defensive unit in addition to scoring a lot of points. And he hasn't, and as you said, he's not able to do that when he has when he has to be out on the floor with four fouls because there's no guys to come in for him. Uh, so guys, I want to. Um, you guys know me. I love stats. I want to give you a couple statistical facts about these two games. That I think are, are are really interesting and very revealing. <laughs> uh, against Clemson, Duke had 24 total rebounds. I want to say that number again. We had 24 total rebounds. This is a team that averages 40 rebounds a game, and we only had 24. The last time we had as few as 24 rebounds in a game was November of 2013, um, uh, a game against Kansas where Jabari Parker and Andrew Wiggins were matching up against each other. Remember when those guys were still in college? Mm -hmm. um, ugh. 
Uh, we came into this game. Here's another statistic for you. Talking about the Clemson game. We came into that game averaging 28 free throw attempts a game. 28 free throw attempts a game. We only shot seven free throws against Clemson. We only made two of them. Um, so the last time that we shot seven or less free throws in a regular season game, December of 2008. And just to put that in perspective, Greg Paulus and David McClure were key players for Duke back in that game. That's how long ago we're talking about since it was that Duke only got to the free throw line seven times. And in terms of making only two free throws, I went back through years and years and years of box scores on the Go Duke Stats Geek website. Years and years. I couldn't find a time that Duke made two or fewer, less than two free throws in a game. It's probably something in the 1960s or something like that. So, uh, you know, we couldn't get to the line, which we do so well. We did a terrible job rebounding. We got killed on the boards by Clemson. That was the story of that game. The Notre Dame game to me, so the statistical stuff I want to talk about in that game involves Bonzi Colson, who may be the new Bootsy Thornton. Bonzi Colson did something that only three players have done in the past 20 years in Cameron Indoor Stadium, three visiting players. Only three players in 20 years have put up 30 points and had 10, 10 rebounds. Um, Al Thornton of Florida State did it in 2006. Mo Harkless of St. John's. Remember, Mo Harkless had a huge game against us a few years ago. They lost that game in 2012. But And then Bonzi Colson is the third guy to do it. Three times in 20 years, someone's put up 30 points and 10 rebounds. And let's think about who did it for a second. Bonzi Colson, this is a guy who's only scored 17 or more points four times in his career. He averages 12 points a game, and he put up 31 against us. He loves playing Duke. I mean, two of his biggest games of his career are the game this weekend and then the game in the ACC um, semifinals last year where Bonzi had 17 points and just owned us for the first half. Um, and uh, here's the incredible thing. This is a guy, he hit, do you, do you recall when he hit the two three-pointers? He had two three-pointers in five possessions. Bonzi Colson, he's not a three-point shooter. He had three three-pointers in his entire career prior to hitting two in like three minutes against Duke. And, it was and crazy. Them- it was just his game. And one of those three-pointers was like one of the most awesome three-pointers you've ever seen. <laughs> so it was a bummer because it was against Duke. But it was so awesome. Yes. Like, yeah. like where did that come from? You're right. That, the, bringing, up, uh, bringing up our favorite Bootsy is, uh, is very appropriate here, especially because we have a fellow who's got a very similar name. We've been Bonzi, Bootsy by Bonzi. Um, uh, Coach K said after the game um, that the key to Notre Dame's victory was – Second chance points, offensive rebounds. They beat it. They beat us 18 to four on second chance points. 18 is a lot of second chance points, especially for a team like Notre Dame that is so efficient on offense and tends to score so well and so efficiently anyway. For them to get 18 second chance points is really troublesome. And only having four second chance points for Duke. Um, I mean, that's that's just a huge reason why we lost. Uh, so I, I want to bring up something and ask you guys how you feel about this. One of the about this week. Um, and I just talked about how Bonzi Colson had uh, far and away his best game of his career. No, nothing close to it. Um, but, you know, am I wrong? It didn't feel to me like in either one of these games, it didn't feel to me like Duke was terrible or that our opponent played way, way, way over their head. I mean, look, every year or every couple of years, there'll be a game that you lose and you go, well, you know, it was just their day. Or 
you lose and you say, well, it would just it wasn't our day. We, we had our worst game. We won't play that poorly again all year or they won't play that well again all year. I'm not sure that I saw that in either one of these games. And that that scares me a little bit for this season. Donald, what, what do you am I, am I crazy to think that? No. And, and I was kind of thinking the same thing earlier today and, and late yesterday that we didn't play terribly at all. I, I don't think. And again, I think a lot of it had to deal with uh, there's almost we didn't play great. It's almost justifiable when you, you say, hey, we have six players that are really playing and three of them were in foul trouble yesterday and, and we're summoning you know, Sean Obi off the bench who rarely plays because we had so much foul trouble. It's almost justifiable to, to, you know, to, to note that in how we play. But yeah, I don't think we played terribly. I don't think Notre Dame or Clemson played overly well. It wasn't one of those games where we were, uh, you know, where you're watching the game, you're like, well, this is happening. They're about to blow us out of the gym, and there's nothing we can do about it. There was obviously right. uh, a, a little momentum that they had, that bo- both teams had, that they kind of were able to hold us off at the end. But it wasn't where, even down to the very last seconds, where it was something that we felt was out of our hands. Yeah, you know, and one other thing I want to bring up, um, and I'm not ragging on any one player. I'm not saying, I'm not blaming this guy or anything like that. But um, Coach K said after the uh, the Clemson game that the key moment in that game was um, Derek Thornton took a a very very ill advised shot clock. At, you know we're supposed to be playing for the last shot and and he took a a, a three pointer that was not a good shot um, at the end of the first half. Uh, it gave Clemson possession of the, of the ball again when they probably shouldn't have had another possession. Um, allowed them to come the other direction and uh, and Brandon Ingram ended up picking up his third foul. Um, on the play. Uh, and, and Coach K after the game identified that as the key turning point in the game. Um, the very next game, uh, Luke Kennard was in the starting lineup and Derek Thornton wasn't. And um, uh, and Derek Thornton had uh, one of his worst games of the year against Notre Dame um, in a game where we really could have used more from him. He only played 14 minutes. Uh, he, he just, he, he, he didn't seem impactful at all on the floor. He certainly didn't do anything to stop Demetrius Jackson, the Notre Dame point guard who had a, a, another excellent game. He's Demetrius uh, Jackson's one of the best point guards in the country, but um, boy, a, a week ago, I feel like I was talking about Derek Thornton and how he's making progress. Um, feels like the opposite, uh, at least this past week. Real, real regression for him. Um, Sam, you got anything on the, that? I was going to say one of the one of the scariest moments of the week was Derek Thornton going up. Uh, I think it was to make a rebound, but he jumped over another dude and he ended up on his back on the ground and he was on, on his back uh, for a few seconds before he finally got up and shook it off. But in that moment he fell down and I thought, well, Duke has a starting lineup and no bench because if he had to come out of the game, that, that would have been it. I mean, there, we would have been, have, have, we would have had to play five guys over 35 minutes a game because Chase Jeter and Sean Obi aren't ready to handle that. I mean, Chase Jeter is fouling at a rate that is historical, I think, at this point. So Derek Thornton going down uh, was was a very scary moment for me. I was thinking that that, that could have been the season right there. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Although it's about to get better, apparently. Uh, there, there's lots of talk that Emil Jefferson um, may be closer to coming back rather than later to coming back, if that makes any sense. Um, there was, you know, initially a lot of folks were thinking we're looking at mid-February, maybe late February, and and now there's there's some talk that uh, it could could be a couple weeks or so, maybe. Um, so uh, that'll be a, a big, big, big deal for Duke and, and, and a wonderful thing. And as we begin to look ahead a little bit, 
Um, it's time to preview the games that we have coming up this week. Starts Monday night. Um, I hope we have this podcast edited and posted in time for folks to hear what we have to say before we play Syracuse. Um, on Monday night, um, the, the game is in Cameron. Um, it's one of ESPN's big, you know, big Monday games. Um, uh, so, Donald, uh, I know you've looked a little bit at Syracuse. Tell me, tell me what you will about about the Orange Men this year. So the Orange Men, oh, well, we I think they're the Orange now. Um, we you're they, right. They are they, my, my they, bad. They are the Orange. Yes. They are the gender gender neutral Orange uh, Syracuse. They are twelve and seven, um, and they are two and four. Uh, so far in the conference, they they do have some wins against ranked teams uh, in Texas A&M and UConn earlier in the season. Um, their losses aren't actually that you know against terrible teams either. They've lost to Wisconsin, Georgetown, St. John's, Pitt, Miami, Clemson, and UNC. So you you, you have some of these great teams. You have teams that have been on fire lately, like Clemson. Um, they have won their last two ACC games against BC and Wake, and then they play us, and they are also on a quick turnaround. They played yesterday, as did we. Uh, they're ranked 43rd in Kim Palm, and their Kim Palm schedule has them ranked 65th overall. Um, their strength of schedule, so they aren't playing terrible teams, and they aren't uh, they aren't losing to the terrible teams. There aren't, I mean, they haven't had a couple, but a couple of good wins. Um, but a lot of their losses are pretty, you know, decent losses to really good teams. Uh, they are led by former Duke player Michael Benajay. Silent G will be back in Cameron. Uh, he averages 17.2 points per game and 4.4 rebounds a game and 4.4 assists a game. Um, Trevor Cooney, um, I believe Trevor Cooney is a 97th year senior. And in my opinion, I think he's been in college about as long as Perry Ellis. He, it seems like he has been in college forever. Um, but he is also their, their senior guard, um, 6'4". He's pulling down. Uh, about he's putting about 14 points per game as well so they have a couple of guys that shoot pretty well from downtown and they can get very streaky um as a whole from the floor they don't shoot that well they shoot 42.3 percent from the floor um but they do have three guys who are known to get hot from behind the arc that's silent g that's trevor cooney and tyler Lydon. there are six eight uh freshman forward uh who actually leads their team um in free and uh three point percentage they don't have a lot of players that get real minutes. They're at about six or seven guys um, that get really big minutes, and the rest get about you know a couple of minutes a game here and there. Um, that may be due to the fact that uh, they don't really have a rotation yet. As you guys know, um, uh, the, their coach um, uh, is just coming back from uh, suspension. So Beheim may not have his guys down yet. He, he may not have his rotation set um, because he's just now coming back uh, from that suspension. Um, I think he's been back a few games. So uh, he, they only have a couple guys, six minutes, that get real decent minutes. They're not as big underneath as the guy, as the teams that we've played recently. Um, DeWan Coleman is a really only beefy uh, center. They have a couple guys that are kind of lanky centers of the uh, Chase Jeter build. Um, but Jawan Coleman is their only real uh, guy that's going to get serious minutes um, and is really big underneath. But they do have a lot of length. They can get to the basket. Um, and with their depth, uh, their lack of depth, getting into the foul trouble will be the most important thing, in my opinion. So uh, that's what I got on Syracuse. And uh, what, what do you guys see? Well, I'll tell you, I, I did not think Syracuse, I thought they were in real, real trouble um, when they lost their first four ACC games, including, including two home games. Um, it, you know, uh, the theory usually goes, you know, try and take a couple on the road and hold, hold serve at home. Um, and they, uh, they they lost to Clemson and they lost to UNC, both both games in Syracuse early uh, in their ACC schedule. And, and things looked bad for them, I thought. Um, and then they came back and they beat BC. Uh, who cares? BC's 
god awful. Um, but what they did to Wake, <laughs> they 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 spanked Wake by thirty points, um, and uh, they may be coming into it. I mean, uh, you know, you can you can never tell how much not having your coach on the bench impacts a team. But we saw what happened to Duke in nineteen ninety four to ninety five. I think I have that season right when Coach K had his back problems. He went out. The team was nine and one or nine and three or something. They they were pretty good. Um, when Coach K went out, and and they absolutely, you know, went into a ter- terrible tailspin. Um, it may be that Clemson's earlier struggles were the result of not having Jim Beheim on the bench, and now that he's back, they could be a very different team. I'm, I wish we could have caught them at a time when he wasn't around, because, uh, um, boy, we could use an easy win at this point. I'm worried about Tyler Roberson, who's their leading rebounder and who does a really, really great job on the offensive boards. He averages more than four offensive rebounds a game. Um, the, uh, you know, this is the place that where Duke is really struggling. Second chance points and rebounding, um, and uh, we need we need to find a way to contain him and uh, and and not get our big men into foul trouble. Um, Sam, what about you? I think you guys hit it all. I think that the um, the quick turnaround is an interesting thing, even though both teams have it. I'm curious to see how Duke rebounds from their game against Notre Dame, which had a, a lot of as you guys as we pointed out, a lot of negatives. Um, so I'm interested to see how we come out at the beginning of this game. It's uh, it's obviously at home, so that help. It is at home, right? It's at home. Yes. Games yes. At home. Games at home, so hopefully that helps a little bit. Um, the guys don't have to travel as opposed to Syracuse, who does. But um, well, you know, so so interesting thing about Syracuse. So Syracuse played at Wake on Saturday. Oh, so they're just, right, so they're just hanging out around you know the North Carolina area. The state. I'm sure. I don't know that for a fact. I haven't double checked this, but I can't imagine they flew back up to Syracuse and then flew back down for the Monday game. I think they're I, just spending. I doubt that. I doubt that highly. Yeah, they they're just spending that. the whole weekend in North Carolina. Um, but you know, being but, on the but road, but it still throws off your routine for for being oh, out yeah. of town and living in a hotel for a few days. Um, for sure. You know, for sure. Where you being in a dorm, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I just wanted to say, you know, that it's weird that Duke is playing on Big Monday against Syracuse. Um, I didn't know that we joined the Big East. So I'm still I'm still bitter about that whole thing. <laughs> you're gonna have to let it go at some point. At some point, you're gonna have to let it go, my friend. We're gonna have three over the next like five weeks. So yeah, I know, and, and I and I hate it every time. So um, I'll 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 get over it eventually. But just well, uh, just give just give me time. Why don't we talk about NC State? I was gonna say one way to help yourself get over it is to have a traditional ACC rival. A tra- you know, a team that we've played for decades and decades and decades. Uh, we we go to NC State. Um, uh, this coming weekend on Saturday, and Sam, I know you were you were tasked with previewing NC State. Boy, this was a team. NC State was supposed to be really good. This was supposed to be their year. I mean, most people had them pegged top four, top five in the conference, right? Preseason, weren't they? Am I well, crazy? Well, do you want to know what's happened to them since? I do. I do. So NC State is unfortunately zero and five in the ACC, uh, which sets up beautifully for them to beat Duke. I think. Uh, because no, I don't think I don't think that any team as regularly, so regularly gets excited to play Duke and plays out of their minds the way that NC State does. In my mind, like not that not that they beat us every time, but that every time we play them, they're they're good games, and that NC State is really excited for it. As opposed to when they play UNC and they inevitably uh, poop the bed, because that seems to happen every time they play UNC, including this past weekend in uh, in Chapel Hill. Uh, which was their fifth ACC loss, as I mentioned. They've also lost to Virginia Tech and Louisville and Wake Forest and Florida State. So a couple of tournament teams in there, a couple of non-tournament teams in there. NC State is led, uh, once again, by point guard Cat Barber, 
who's averaging 22 points a game, which is pretty great for him, and also uh, five rebounds and five assists. Um, and they've also got a couple of big guys that are that are intriguing, Abdul Malik Abu and BJ Anya, uh, who are big fellas. BJ Anya especially is a, is a large gentleman who has lost a bunch of weight, I think, since he's been in college, but has always been an interesting player for them. He's capable of, uh, of some explosive acts. So and he's, that's a guy. he's a Duke he's a Duke killer. He's another one of these guys who always he's, seems to play well against Duke. Mm-hmm. He's a Duke killer, and, he, and he's fun to watch. Um, so when like when I watch NC State, BJ Anya does not play the most minutes for them. I think he's only averaging something like twenty five minutes a game. But the minutes that he gives them are always high energy and very very fun. So uh, it's going to be interesting to watch them inside. NC State is nothing like Syracuse in that they really can't shoot. Um, none of the guys on the team are especially quality uh, three-point shooters. They only average 41% from the floor, which compares to Duke very poorly. Duke shoots about 48% from the floor in total. So um, look for Duke to try to force NC State into bad shots because they're good at taking bad shots. Um, Barber obviously scores a lot, but but does not score at an efficient rate. None of them do. So I think that the, the key for Duke is, is to not let NC State make the same sort of shots that that Notre Dame was making, especially those those threes that Bonzi Colson made. Um, those kinds of shots uh, are would be very helpful for a, an NC State team that doesn't score that well. And they also feature a pair of twins. I think this is interesting. There are a pair of twins in the team, Caleb and Cody Martin, who were both uh, role players last year. They they've had their moments to shine, but they they are playing much bigger minutes this year. Um, the NC State team only goes seven deep, uh, so. You know, if you're comparing that to Duke, it's not that much more. Duke's probably only playing like six plus at this point. But uh, Caleb and Cody Martin are twins, and they look very, very similar. And when I was watching the game the other day, they they also sport numbers 14 and 15. And I was watching the State-UNC game the other day, and I got myself very confused because I was like, oh, I'm watching 15. Like, what's 15 doing? Now 15 looks like he's wearing number 14, and I don't understand why he changed uniforms. <laughs> um, so that was, that was confusing. Um, but Caleb and Cody Martin, distinct individuals, though from the same parenthood. So uh, last year, Duke went one and one against NC State. Uh, State obviously won the game in Raleigh, and then Duke returned the favor in the ACC tournament. But uh, as we know from the last few years, NC State always plays Duke well. And this even, even an NC State team that has not won an ACC game yet has a lot of talented pieces. Cat Barber is a guy that, that um, people love to talk about, has a lot of potential, and, and has played very well this year. So we'll see how that goes. I'm, I'm very curious to see how Duke defends NC State and, uh, and how they get the offense going against them. State and Syracuse are very different teams. So I think we're going to hopefully be seeing two different um, game plans from Duke this week. Uh, and, and perhaps they try to assert themselves a little better than they did against Notre Dame and Clemson. So really quick on NC State, you know, Cat Barber is oh so great at getting into the lane and drawing fouls, and he is a very good free throw shooter. He hits uh, 84, almost 85% of his free throws, and that's a huge, huge part of his game. Um, uh, you know, Derek Thornton and Grayson Allen and uh, uh, Matt Jones, are, I think, will all have different times where they will be tasked with trying to stop him. If you can slow him down, if you can keep him off the free throw line, then you will do very, very well. But aside from him... NC State is a terrible free throw shooting team. Um, they hit 67% of their free throws, which is bad. And the guy who is the biggest culprit, have, have you, did you see this in their stats? BJ Anya is hitting 33% of his free throws on the season. That is just, you're unguarded. And you know exactly how long the shot is, and you can practice it as much as you want. He's 19 of 56 on free throws. So if BJ Anya... 
I mean, obviously the Duke big man, we don't have many fouls to give because we don't have many big men. But good God, if he looks like he's going to get an open shot, just foul the guy because he can't hit just his free put, throws put at all. Put Chase Jeter in. Put Chase Jeter in. Yes. And it's Sean Obi and just and foul Obi. BJ on you. Right. Uh, I also yeah. I also wanted to to highlight NC State's second leading scorer, who's a freshman named Maverick Rowan. He's a six seven two fifteen, and he's kind of an interesting player just because he's a he's a new guy and he's averaging thirteen points a game for for this NC State team and playing big minutes for them. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, the way that Duke defends both Barber and Rowan. Um, both are guys who can score a little bit. Uh, Rowan doesn't have a great field goal percentage, um, and he takes a lot of takes a lot of three pointers. So uh, I'm curious to see what the defensive game plan is against those two. So so wait, you're too young to make the joke, so I'm going to make the joke for you. The two guys who love to shoot from the outside, the two guys who take the vast, vast, vast majority of the three-pointers for NC State are Rowan and Martin. Silence. You don't know who Rowan and Martin are? Not a clue. Rowan okay, and they Martin. Were, Rowan and Martin were a comedy team in the 1960s. I'm not old enough to to have watched them, but they were very, very famous back then. Okay. So any, anyone over the age of 60 listening to the podcast, because podcasts are really popular with senior citizens. Shout, will out, know shout who, out to Sage Grouse. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> they will know who Rowan and Martin, I think it's Rowan and Martin. Yeah, I'm pretty tell, sure. Tell Sage Grouse to listen this week because we gave him a shout out. There we go. There we go. <laughs> Donald, we didn't let you, did you have anything to add about NC State? Yeah, so the... The one thing that I always take from NC State games when we play them, especially at NC State, is that the unexpected will happen. So last year, I remember we were talking to the podcast and we were talking about how uh, BJ Anya, you know, we were not, he's not going to be much of a factor except his physical presence on the inside. And I remember him just going off against, against us last year. I remember Cat Barber doing the same thing. It's, it's one of those things where I almost expect B.J. Anya to go for 30 points and grab 15 rebounds and make every single one of his free throws because something unexpected is going to happen against this team. Now, the question is, how do we react to it? Um, last year, and the, uh, uh, when we played at NC State, we didn't react well to it, and they blew us out of, off the floor. In the, in the uh, ACC tournament, we were able to react to it. We were able to counteract the, the, the unexpected and were able to pull out the victory. So... That's my question: Is what what's what unexpected is going to happen? Because it's going to be something with this NC State team. Somebody's going to go off for major minutes or major points that we wouldn't uh, think about. Um, and how is it that this uh, short uh, short um, bench uh, can handle that, especially uh, if we get into foul trouble? I like it. I like. It. By the way, I I still can't believe it. Rowan and Martin's laughing. Don't you guys remember? Have you ever heard of Laughing, the TV show? Uh, my parents probably have, but that uh, come I, on, guys. Gary Lewis, Gary Lewis, and Dean Martin. That, that that's I, will, no. I, have heard, I have heard of laughing. I have heard of well, it. I don't. So really it was know called. It was. it was called uh, Rowan and Martin's laughing, and like Goldie Hawn got her start on that show. And okay, Lewis all right, now we get it. I got was George I, Carlin I, on the Hunter part. Yeah, was George Carlin probably. on laughing? I don't know. I didn't see it. I was like five years old when laughing was on TV or something right. like that. But anyway, I, okay. I, I'm, I, I like George Carlin. He was great. Um, there we go. So when it comes to old comedy, that, that's what I think of as like my old comedy. Carl is the man. Yes. Okay. Let's. All right. Let's move on. Uh, I think. I guess we should do player of the week, right? It's time for oh. our player of the week. We have to. Yes, we have to. All right. Fine. 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 fine, fine. Yes. Donald, I'm start. Ready. I'm, Don, Don, I'm ready. I, I, Sam doesn't want to. So Donald, you no, start. No, no, no. I, I actually had one picked <laughs> down. It was, it was more. A, it was more a sentiment about the way that we played this week. Uh. 
Uh, uh, doesn't ahead, matter. Sam. You're going to have to wait on your uh, – actually, yes. Okay, so ahead, Sam, Sam. I'm intrigued Sam, you, you've set it up so much. Yeah. Let's give us your player of the week then. All right. I picked Luke Kennard. He shot okay. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I got. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't foul out. Um, he, uh, he looked really intense, made some shots. Um, but but uh, I, 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 yeah. Luke, it's Luke Kennard for me. Go ahead, Donald. Uh, mine was Luke Kennard. I was going to mention a little bit more, especially the fact that uh, he's become really well. He's become one of our you know best players off the bench. But he had his career game yesterday, and he actually started that game. He went for thirty points. Uh, and whoever whoever's ankle that he broke, um, like basically off the bone with that yeah. three point step back uh, <laughs> yesterday. Um, I just want to say, Luke, that kid had a family. He had a life. Um, and people are going to miss him. That was really disrespectful how you did that, and I'd love to see you do that again. Uh, so I, I he's will, my player I, of the week. I will give that credit. I had forgotten about the about that move, but that move was super awesome. That I was at a I was at a bar here in D.C. Um, I was actually at a brewery watching the game, and there was probably about three hundred people, and this game was on one TV with no sound, and everyone saw that move, and the entire bar was just like, oh, it was one of those plays. So. Uh, Luke and Art, please keep doing more of that, and and I think he's coming along really well. But he is my player of the week. Um. Okay. So I, I'm also going with Luke Kennard. <laughs> I mean, I guess don't I have to? Uh, there's no one else who. I, I mean, maybe Brandon Ingram. I guess maybe. I uh, actually, if you you know what? Hold up. Hold it. I think my Brandon Ingram from this. My week, no wait. My player of the week is. Brandon Ingram's first half against Clemson and his second half against Notre Dame. Okay. Does right. that work? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I think that's I fine. think if, if you took Brandon Ingram's first half against Clemson and second half against Notre Dame, it's close to 30 points. Probably. It may even be more than 30. Probably is more than 30. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Uh, yeah, I'm going with Luke Kennard also. Um, it's a terrible week to pick a player of the week. Um, but I thought, you know, Kennard, uh, obviously we talk about how, how – well, he's shooting and how much he's scoring and things like that. But I, I love all the little things he does. He, he also gets a pretty fair number of assists. Um, he battles and scraps for rebounds really well. Um, he's a guy who moved from a bench player into the starting lineup this week. I mean, uh, Luke Kennard was our second leading rebounder in the Notre Dame game, in a game where we you know, struggled to rebound again. Um, uh, and, uh, and so, yeah, he's, he's a, to me, he's a clear – he's the clear player of the week this week. And we make it unanimous. It's Luke Kennard. I would, I would say that if um... – if Sean Obie's new haircut had managed to make both of those free throws, that I might have picked him. Mm. <laughs> oh boy! All right, I'm, right. I'm full. Is of the week over? Out. I really need to. I need to go outside. Is the week over? The week's <laughs> over, I think. So we can put that week behind us, and we're moving ahead. Hey, parting shot time. Um, uh, uh, Donald, seeing as Sam stole player of the week going first, you can go first on a parting shot. Do you have a parting shot for us? I do have a parting shot, and this parting shot is uh, I want everyone to take a step back and breathe and appreciate the parity that we have this year in college basketball. I'm, you know, if you look at the standings from last week, the rankings from last week, uh, and you just look at the top 15 teams, the teams that as of right now, we're probably leaps and bounds above everybody else. Uh, I just want to take you through all the teams that lost. Number one, Kansas. Number three, Maryland. Number four, Michigan State. Uh, we obviously lost. Um, Miami lost twice at number nine. West Virginia lost. They're number 10. And uh, Providence at 12. Kentucky at 13. And South Carolina at 15. 
that is way more than two-thirds of the entire top 15 lost at least one game last week. Uh, by, by the way, by the way, update, um, Michigan State just lost again. They lost to Wisconsin. They lost twice this week. They lost Michigan twice. They lost to Wisconsin. They did. And there you go. So this is this is parody. This is what I mean. It, there is no, you know, you talking about teams that kind of separate themselves from the pack. We don't have that this year. I mean, the teams that you kind of put in in the one spot or the two spot, and you think these guys are the best teams in the country. Don't ever do that if you if it's your te- if it's your team. Don't ever say they're the number one team in the country because they're they're going to lose. And that's pretty much what's been happening the last few weeks. So I, I want everybody to appreciate that. While we are in last week is a week that that over the course of time have will have never happened. We'll erase it from our memories. A lot of people across the country are saying the same thing about last week. So, uh, and I think when it comes time to March, we may have one of the best marches ever because anything can happen um, if you're looking at the teams that are playing right and how they're playing right now. So, take a step back, breathe. It's only going to get better, but the parity that we have this year is making for some great college basketball to be played. I like it. It works for me. Um, Sam, your turn. Um, oh boy, I just blanked on what my, <laughs> what my parting shot right. is going to be. I tell you what, um, Sam, while you're, I was going to say, while you're thinking about it, I can do mine. I can do mine while you're thinking about well, it. Well, let's go with yours. Okay. So, um, there are bad ways to lose. And then there's what happened to Sioux Falls. Did you guys hear about the Sioux Falls versus Winona state game? Yes. But tell, oh. people, tell the people oh. what happened. That was – oh, tell oh, them. I didn't oh see it. God. I didn't see it, so tell me about it. Okay, so uh, Sam, I, I'm, I'm very interested in hearing your reaction to this. Right. So uh, Sioux Falls and Winona State, if you don't know, are, are big rivals in Division Two college basketball. Um, they played earlier this year, and Winona State, who is considerably better than Sioux Falls, Winona State won that game by 39 points. So Sioux Falls was thrilled when uh, with time running out in the game. They found themselves down two points with the ball and a chance to tie or win. And Taylor Varsho of Sioux Falls sank a desperation three-pointer um, at the buzzer. The, his teammates stormed the floor and are celebrating with him. Um, one problem, the ball sort of went through the net to w- make the winning three-pointer with like two-tenths of a second left or three-tenths of a second left, something like that. The the The... The light, the red light had not gone off yet, and they stormed the floor. And the officials blew the whistle and called a technical on them. Oh, no. Yep. Oh, yeah, they did. Oh. And, when, and Winona State went down the other end of the floor and sank two free throws and won the game. Oh. Um, the officials, that... by the way, it's been ruled that the officials acted improperly. Um and okay. uh, and, I believe, and the officials, I believe, have been suspended. I think I heard something like that. But but oh my god! I how... think it, I don't know if it was suspended. I think it was the the it was the polite way of saying they were suspended. It was almost like they said like they have been reassigned. Uh, yeah, they've been uh, their, disciplined. Their next or game has like been that, reassigned right? or something like that. Uh, but yeah, they were they were suspended. It was it was it, and to tell it's it, horrific. Now, it, it was horrific because. There was two tenths left, but when you're watching the, the video in real time, yeah, the, the light didn't come on, but the buzzer, I think, uh, not the buzzer, but the time well, read zeros. So, the time read zero. The light does come on, but like they yeah. would have, it's one of these plays where they would have gone back and, and probably reviewed it and said, okay, there's two tenths or three tenths left or something like that. Exactly. But, but, they, but they sort of said, well, wait, the, the players storming the floor, the fans storming the floor, caused the other team to not have a chance to inbound the ball and make a play. Um, 
with two seconds with point two left, you can't make a play. Like uh, it's, it's, it's written in the rule book, you can't make a play unless, yeah. unless you're a volleyball player. It's horrific. It's it's beyond horrific. So I'll I'll post a link so folks that don't know about this story, like Sam, can can experience it for the full first time. But um, uh, I, what happened to Sioux Falls should not happen to anyone. So that's my yeah, parting that's, shot. That's pretty horrible. Um, all right, I remembered my parting shots. Good. So if you're ready, um, the I'm first ready. Is that first is that better be good, the man. Dress, devil with the blue dress is coming along, um, but it's but it's very much a work in progress. So. Uh, you guys will hear it eventually, but it is coming along. The second thing. Well, wait, wait, uh, you're, you're, ref you're referring to your mandolin, your mandolin yeah, play. Yes. yes, yes. yes. Um, so, I mean, there sorry, may I be some people who didn't listen last week who don't know that you're a master mandoliner. Yeah, right. Uh, that. Um, and then the, uh, the second thing is that hopefully I, I was um, talking with you guys about this earlier. Uh, hopefully, Jason and I will be will both be at a Duke game uh, in the near future, at the same Duke game in the near future um in Cameron Indoor. So I'm hoping that if that does come to pass that we get to go to Bullock's barbecue together. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think Bullock. so. I think so. Um, we're talking folks, we're talking about the NC State game on yeah. uh January I'm sorry, on February sixth. Sam and I will be there. Um maybe we will try to record like a special section of the podcast or something like that from inside Cameron. Um or from inside Bullock's barbecue. Or from inside Bullocks, that that would also work. Although the problem would be, I wouldn't be able to to speak because my mouth would be full of hush puppies constantly. Right, like I walk true. in that place, and they're basically hush puppies in my mouth from the moment I walk in till the moment I leave, because that's the way I want it to be. So let's hope let let's hope that that Duke gets better at basketball, and that I, the next the first time I ever meet Jason will be at a Bullock barbecue uh, before a Duke basketball game. <clears throat> you know, uh, last year I brought my son up for a game, and Bullocks was closed. There were like some renovations or something going on. It was like heartbreaking, but there are plenty yeah. of other really good barbecue places around Durham. So I, I went someplace else and it was delicious. And it was fabulous and wonderful. Um, but yeah, Bullock's is the classic. Bullock's is the, is the one. All right. Well, let's hope. And, and maybe that'll come to pass. Yes, maybe it will. Maybe it will. All right. Um, all right uh, so we're all done this week on the podcast, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Um, it'll be really interesting to see if we get as many folks listening to us when Duke is losing as we as we do when Duke is winning. Um, so uh, so we're watching. We're paying attention. Uh, as always, we urge you post comments on the DBR forum. Um, if you have anything you want to hear us talk about or don't want to hear us talk about, or if you think that maybe we should just stop talking altogether. No, don't post that. I don't want to hear that because we're going to keep doing this, baby. Um, you could, I mean, you could choose not to listen. That's that's on you. That is that is an option. That is that would be a personal issue. Uh, so for my colleagues, Sam Klein and Donald Wine, I'm Jason Evans. Um, next week will be better. I promise. I hope it better be. Duke Band, take us home.